Good evening, friendly people. Let me just open this up in prayer. Father, thank you so much for these folks that have decided to come out on a midweek evening to hear about just the wonderful gifts that you've given us. Lord, may you reveal to us if we lack this particular gift of faith or if it can be strengthened. God, you're so generous in what you provide to us. And so, Lord, may we uh, just, as your children, be receptive to the gifts that you offer to us. And, Lord, I pray that this evening that the gifts you offer to us would be present, that they would be manifested here. Because, Lord, we do have people that are in need of miracles. And we do have people who are sick, who are in need of healing. We have people who are discouraged, who would love a word of knowledge that you have for them. We have people who are trying to discern decisions, and we need your wisdom. And there are so many other gifts that you do offer us in accordance to your word, and yet those are just a few that I'm sure some of us here need. So Holy Spirit, would you show up here with us and minister to the hearts of your people in Jesus' name? Amen. Welcome back. We've been exploring these spiritual gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, and if you're just brand new here and you don't know what's going on, we have a whole series that we did on the Holy Spirit that you can catch up on in iTunes. If you have any questions about that, you can go back to there. But what we're doing on Wednesday nights is we're just going through 1 Corinthians 12, and we're just kind of going down the list of gifts that are in there. And so tonight we're at verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. So with those seven words, I'm going to preach for seven hours. But we're going to talk about the gift of faith, and you have faith that I won't go that long. Before we get started, I kind of want to lay out for us that there are actually different types of faith, right? So there's the faith of salvation, and there's the faith that we have in God's Word, and then there's a healing faith, and we're going to talk about all three of those things tonight. But first, let's take a look at this gift of faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul wrote this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. This faith manifests when there's a belief in Jesus to redeem all of our sins, to cleanse us of all of our sins, having faith in God and that through Jesus Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. The faith of salvation, just reeling it in. John has peppered this faith of salvation in the gospel that he wrote. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then you hop on over to John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The faith we have in Jesus Christ as our Savior, believing he redeemed us, he paid the penalty for our sins with his life, his blood on the cross is the faith that saves us. His death for our sins is the only acceptable sacrifice for our sins, except for one thing. 
your own life, your own life, but then you'd be dead forever. So it's only through Jesus or it's only through you, but then you would be dead. And Jesus is the only acceptable substitute to a holy and just God. Jesus is the only one who can take our place because he was sinless. And the Bible tells us that the penalty of sin is death. So the only just outcome for sin is death. And so it is either your death or it is Jesus' death. And Jesus conquered death. He resurrected, right, Easter Sunday. And so Paul peppers all of this faith of salvation writing as well. And you look at the book of Romans. We're just going to take a look at the book of Romans, starting in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Sticking in Romans, jump over to chapter 10, starting in verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The faith of salvation. Now skip over to Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now this is a measure of faith that God has assigned to everyone. Okay, this faith that Paul wrote about is the faith of salvation. It was a gift given to everyone. And if a person uses that gift of saving faith, that person will be saved from their sins and have everlasting life. So, in faith, we have the faith of salvation. And number two, we have faith in God's word, right? In his promises. Where there is a trust, there's a belief in God's word and in his promises. Now, this is a faith that Jesus found lacking in his disciples multiple times. In Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 5, this is speaking of the women at the tomb. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? 
He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day. Rise. And they remembered his words. Faith in God's word. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The disciples did not believe in these promises, these words that were already given to them. The women remembered and they recalled and they remembered and they trusted in those things. Then we go to the story of Cleopas, still in Luke chapter 24. And Cleopas and his friend were on the Emmaus Road. And when we get to verse 25 of chapter 24 of Luke, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. That lack of faith in the Word of God. And these guys started hanging out with Jesus and then they finally recognized it was Him and when they did, Jesus just vanished from their sight and then they were so excited, they just booked it back to Jerusalem to tell the other 11 disciples and, and Jesus showed up there in verse 37 and He says this, but they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. Still that lack of faith going on here. In Mark's biography, Mark's account, Mark wrote in chapter 16, verse 14, Afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Not believing in the word of God. Because it was already prophesied to them what was going to happen. So we see this lack of faith in God's word, in his promises by the followers of Jesus, and he reminded them in verse 44 of Luke 24, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The word of God, the faith in God's word, in his promises. And it's not always negative. Uh, we, in Luke 24, we see these negative portrayals of the lack of faith, but there's a list of faithful people who believed in God's word and his promises that were found in his word. And you look to Hebrews 11 and you look at this hall of fame for faith. Right? They weren't always faithful throughout their lives, but you look at the disciples not being faithful and then how they ended up. And, and so we see this list of faithful people in Hebrews 11 who indeed exercised faith and they grew in faith just like you and I can grow in faith at a time where maybe right now we are lacking in faith but we can grow we can become this Hebrews 11 type of person Jude wrote in chapter 1 verses 20 through 21 but you beloved building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. See, Paul recognized that our faith can grow. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And this type of faith grows as we exercise it, as we live it out. It grows, but the converse is true as well. And it's just like working out physically, right? Your muscles get stronger as you work them out. But if you don't, they don't just stay the way that 
they were at your peak athleticism. We don't all look like we did in our early 20s or whenever your physical prowess was. Right? Some of you guys, it's now and you look all good and stuff. And <laughs> All right, awesome. You look good. I'm going to compliment you. You look good. But it doesn't stay that way. You work it out and it continues to grow strong. But if you don't, you atrophy. You weaken. It doesn't stay the same. I was going to comment on myself, but I don't want to degrade myself. Anyway, I'll move on. And sometimes we forget that this faith is available for us today. James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, the great prophet Elijah. Right? And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. That type of faith is available for us today. God's faithfulness, His promises have proven to be true over and over and over again throughout history, today, tomorrow. And as we come to recognize faithfulness in His Word, in His promises, the result is a growing faith. And the more we experience God's faithfulness firsthand, knowing that His Word says this, and therefore I'm going to act like this, I'm going to say things like this, I'm going to think like this, our faith will grow with that. And God will provide and care for His children. Now, the next type of faith, the last type of faith we're going to talk about this evening is the healing faith. And we see this in Luke chapter 8, verses 42 through 48. This is the story of the hemorrhaging woman in uh, Capernaum, one of my favorite Bible places that is here today because you go there and archaeologists have done all these excavations and they've uncovered the walkways that were in Jesus' time. So it's easy for me to picture the hemorrhaging woman there and reaching out. Like it's so easy for me to see that picture. And I love this story. Let me read it starting in verse 42, Luke chapter 8. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had immediately been healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. That's the faith of healing. And as the ministry of Jesus continued, we find another woman who exercised the faith of healing in Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away. For she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. 
Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Then we come to another healing faith story in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the faith of healing. Now, there is the gift of healing that we're going to talk about the next time we meet, which is it's right after this gift of faith here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And I think Paul purposely wrote them back to back like this because there's a relationship between faith and healing. And there's also a relationship between miracles and faith, which is right after the gifts of healing, is the gifts of miracles, which is why I think... It's written this way, that faith is related to healing and it's related to miracles and we'll unpack those gifts of healing and miracles more in depth in the next couple of months. But for tonight, let's look at how the gift of faith, healing, miracles, they all kind of work together here. Look at Acts chapter 3. And we're going to see how they kind of all work together. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man came from birth, was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith 
that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Go, Peter. By faith in his name, faith that is through Jesus, this man who was lame since birth was healed, which is also a miracle. Right? So you see there's multiple gifts going on here. Faith, healing, and miracles. And you notice what Peter said in verse 16, the faith that is through Jesus. See, Peter didn't point to himself and say, like, I have the gift of faith and I have the gift of healing and miracles. Come hither, come hither, let me heal you. Right? He does not point to himself. He directs people to the faith that is through Jesus. It's given by Jesus. The faith was a gift, a gift given to Peter that led him to say, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I have faith. I have faith. I give that to you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And by faith in his name, the faith that is through Jesus, we see these three spiritual gifts in action. The gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of miracles. Now you look at Stephen as an example of someone with the gift of faith. Stephen actually had several spiritual gifts. Right? But we're just going to pay attention to the gift of faith this evening. In Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 3, I'm just going to pick out the verses here to help give us an idea of Stephen's faith. Verse 3, they're talking amongst each other to figure out who to choose to help them in the ministry. And, and it says, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. And so they choose, Stephen is one of the seven. And you go to verse 5, and it says, And they chose Stephen. And look at what they write about Stephen first a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then you go to verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. See, there's no doubt because he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And so Stephen was the first Christian martyr. And through his testimony on the day of his death, it made quite an impact on a particular person who is powerful in our faith, the Apostle Paul, made a huge impact on Paul. Because Paul condoned the murder of Stephen. And you look at the transformation of Paul's life just eight chapters later. Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet, and he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Now doesn't that story sound so familiar as to what happened with Peter and the crippled man there? I think Paul heard something there. And so how important kind of that discipleship is and that being an example and modeling faith. Paul saw that man crippled from birth had faith to be made well. Paul realized how important 
faith was to be, to be a follower of Jesus. Then he wrote to the Galatians, which will be the next book that we're going to study in our Sunday services. And Paul had these very pointed questions to the Galatians. He had these really pointed questions because he questions their faith. Starting in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? See, because miracles were happening in Galatia. And Paul confronted them about any potential vanity in their thinking that it could be anything but the gift of faith by the Holy Spirit that allowed them to do such miraculous works. Now, when we think of miracles, we tend to think about the blind being able to see again or the lame being able to walk again. But what about something that we're confronted with quite often? But it's also a miracle. Forgiveness. Ever think about what a miracle forgiveness is? How much faith is required for forgiveness to happen? Luke chapter 17. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, Forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, 24 hours, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Are you serious? Because this is essentially what the apostle said in verse 5. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. There's a, are you serious? Really? Forgiveness is a necessity when it comes to a relationship with God. You can't have one if you don't forgive. If you can't forgive, you can't have a relationship with God. And since we're surrounded by temptations, you and I are bound to be wrong. We're bound to hurt someone. We're bound to make mistakes. And we're bound to choose to exercise forgiveness sooner or later. Because someone's going to wrong us or we're going to wrong someone else. You're going to exercise this. You don't have a choice. And depending on how hurt we are, how deeply the offender has hurt us, and the forgiveness we choose to extend or not to extend is influenced by that pain, by that trauma, that sensitivity, that history, and many other factors. So our judicial system is set up for justice. That does not equate to forgiveness. It's set up for getting even. Have you ever thought about this, our justice system? It's set up to get even. You caused this much damage, and so you have to pay restitution to replace whatever you damaged. It's justice. It's even, and that's our court system. Now, if we move things out to the streets, like the streets of Oakland, it's not about getting even. It's about getting revenge. Right? Revenge. Like you kill one of ours, we're going to kill more than one. Don't care how many. 
Don't even care who they are. It can be innocent people too. Don't care. We kill more. And so that's our world. And that's our flesh. Not so with God. God is just. And he also said that vengeance is his. But for us, we're to forgive. We forgive. We don't act out the vengeance. That's for him. And the disciples recognize how truly difficult that is. Seven times in a day? Really? And it's one thing to forgive, like stealing my french fries, right? Like, no big deal. No big deal. Take it. But what if it was something more serious, like you burned down my house with all my pictures of my kids and all the history and all that stuff and everything that I cherish and everything that I've got and all the heirlooms from my great-grandparents and you just destroyed everything and now I have nothing. Like, that's a little different. If he sins against me seven times in a day and turns to me seven times saying, I repent, I must forgive him. Sorry, I burned your house down. What, Jesus? Seriously? Really? But if I have to, then increase my faith. Because right now, I want to burn his house down. And I want to destroy his life. I want to take everything he has. I need you to increase my faith to be able to do that. Because I cannot do that without you. It is impossible. It is miraculous. That would be a miracle. And then Jesus responded in verse 6. If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed... You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Mustard seed. Faith like a grain of mustard seed. And so can you imagine if we had the faith of a mango seed? You can uproot like Yosemite and throw it in the ocean. Or you can take the whole thing. And it's another spiritual gift, a gift that can't be earned. It's a gift given by God. If it was not a gift from God and we could exercise this faith on demand, don't you think Highland Hospital would go out of business? Right? We just go there and we just start healing everybody, right? But it's a gift given by God in His timing. And you look at the Apostle Paul who had the gift of faith as well as many other spiritual gifts like healing and miracles. But you look at Acts chapter 19. Starting in verse 11, Luke recorded for us, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. That's awesome. That's awesome. So clearly Paul had this gift of faith, this gift of healing, the gift of miracles, but not all the time. Because you look at his own health. He wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will Boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 26 through 27, he wasn't able to heal Epaphrodites. Epaphrodites was sick 
And Paul had the gift of healing. He had the gift of faith. He had the gift of miracles. Yet it reads this. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. Paul couldn't heal him. Or in Paul's letter to Timothy. See, Paul didn't send a handkerchief or an apron that rubbed against his skin like a scratch and stiff and here, take this, you're going to be healed. He sent a letter to him and in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he wrote this. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And he also wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Couldn't heal him. So it's not all the time. It's God-given in his timing. And these spiritual gifts listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, whether it's wisdom or knowledge or healing or prophecy or tongues or anything, they're all given as the Spirit wills. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. See, these spiritual gifts are not gifts on demand or based on our will to enact them. They are gifts under the control of God and the gifts will manifest when He wills them to manifest. They don't keep us immune from the hardships of life and the obstacles and the challenges and the illnesses. Again, you look at Paul's life, it's full of difficulties. It's full of problems. It's full of health issues. He's not immune to that stuff. And it is God who is in control. He delivered Paul from the shipwrecks and then the poisonous snake bite and being beaten to death. God's the one that did that. But it's not forever that you have this gift and you just have it. And you just call upon it whenever you want. It's not like that. Paul ends up being killed for his faith. And he still experienced really hard times. But he did experience the Spirit manifest the, his power in his life. We read that too. I hope and pray that we welcome the Spirit to manifest himself in whatever way he wants to in us, in his timing. And when we receive it, it is grace. It's a gift. It's something we don't deserve. And to be open to how he works in us or doesn't work in us through the manifestation of spiritual gifts and not to limit him in any way. And it is in his timing and his will. So whether they manifest themselves in us tonight or not, not something that we can conjure or manufacture. This is all the Holy Spirit and his work. So let's pray for that. We'll worship together, welcoming the Holy Spirit to fill us, and hopefully we'll be blessed by the manifestation of the Holy Spirit's gifts for us this evening. Now as we move into this time of worship, just in the consideration of time, we officially end at 8.30, but we don't want to stop anyone from being here to continue worshiping or to continue in prayer. If something is happening, please don't just stop we just want to let you guys know, like if you have children downstairs, go ahead and get them at 8.30. You know, if you feel like you want to exit at any time, go ahead. But at the same time, for those of us who want to stay and continue in worship and continue in prayer and continue waiting upon the Lord, you can stay here as long as you want. We'll keep the doors open, the lights open as long as you want. We have coffee, we can brew it up for you, it's all good. And during this time, several things are happening. One of those things is we have this paper here with some crayons and some pencils. If you're not comfortable in vocalizing or 
kind of shy or you'd rather put yourself out there in this sort of way, writing down your verses here, your word of knowledge, your word of wisdom or your prophecy or whatever that is or drawing a picture out there, that's for you. We don't want to hinder you because of your personality. You know, it's there for you. And also we have for you on this side here our communion tables. The body of Christ and the blood of Christ represented by crackers and grape juice. And we want to welcome you to that table. We want to welcome you to that table to bring all your cares, to bring the things that you're struggling with, because if you're struggling with forgiveness or you're struggling with resentment or bitterness or those types of things that are actually also holding you from God, we want to come around you and support you in that way to help pray with you and deal with the things that are preventing you from taking that communion. And we invite all of you to partake in that. We're not perfect. None of us is perfect. And we want to invite you to the communion table to recognize we're all messed up. And it only for Jesus, breaking his body, shedding his blood, do we even have a chance. So we invite you to do that. And we put some verses there that you can reflect on and meditate upon. And then after a time of worship, as we're preparing our hearts and we're doing this, we'll, we'll come to a time of silence where... We'll invite the Holy Spirit to manifest however He wants. If some of you have the gift of tongues, before you exercise that, I'd like to make sure we have an interpreter of those tongues. And if we do, we can proceed with those things. But if not, then withhold them for yourselves and keep that for yourself. And we'll just continue this evening seeking the Holy Spirit, seeking the power of the Holy Spirit.